helpless and hopeless without the gospel of Jesus Christ. It becomes very overwhelming. It becomes so overwhelming that you look at it and you see it and you have no clue how to react to it. And you have no understanding of what we usually do when we see a cure or are told of something of this nature. People around the world dying without knowing the gospel of Christ. Because of its overwhelming nature, what we usually do is we usually say, well, I'm so small. I can't can't do anything to help that. But what we realize and what we talked about last week is that worship is the fuel and it's the goal of missions. And each of us in this room, if you're a follower of Christ, of course, you know you're a worshiper of Christ. But what we haven't done yet is connect the two things, from worship to missions. You see, for such a long time, we've decided to get in our buildings and worship God, but not take the next step in motivation, the next push towards the world in mission. And I think, if, if I'm honest, I, my, my greatest passion is to move our church to understanding that. To move myself to understand that. To move our culture, our nation, our whole religious system that we built up as, as Christians. Get us to understand that we are to go so that others may worship the truth. It's what we talked about last week. We can review it here in Isaiah chapter 6. If you're new here, it's okay. If, if, you, if you weren't here last week, don't worry. It's easy to catch up. I've got some footprints on the screen. I use those all the time in school, so just, uh, just take a look at those. Um, we talked about Isaiah 6. We talked about the vision that Isaiah had. When he had this vision, he noticed a couple of things. One of the things he noticed was that uh, he understood God for who he is, right? He he saw God in His holiness. He understood that God was greater and higher than anything else. And once He did that, they were built in Him how sinful He was, right? Isaiah didn't realize the sin until He saw the holiness of God. When He saw God's holiness, that's when Isaiah became aware of His sinfulness. But the story didn't stop there, right? In His sinfulness, Isaiah said, I shouldn't even be here. What was me? I'm a sinful man. I'm lost. Me and my people, we don't even, we, we don't, we are unwarranted. We, we can't go into this place with And yet, God, in His sovereignty, in His love, and gets a servant to take the burning coal and sexual Isaiah's lips and cleanse him of his sin. And allows Isaiah to stay in the presence of God. And we begin to see, after this worship scene, we, we, we hear God who says, We have this task, but who, who can go? Who, who should we send? Without hearing the task, without hearing the country, without hearing the amount of money that he was going to make, the lack thereof, out of a pure and complete understanding of who God was and who he is, through worship, Isaiah said, send me on go. Because it wasn't about the mission, it was about the worship. Isaiah's motivation to go for God wasn't this grand picture he had, he had put up in his mind about, you know, I could, you know, I'll be a rock star over 
proceedings. And often, you know, people see that I'm, I'm this holy, righteous person, or, you know, once I give up everything for God, then maybe God will truly love me. No, Isaiah knew that from the very beginning, God had done everything for him to even be in that place with God. And from that worship, from that understanding of who God was and who he is, Isaiah said, that's all I need to know. God, I know who you are. I know who I am. You have this task, send me. I'll do it. And for so, so many of us, that seems so foreign, right? That's the big. Because we both have a different understanding uh, throughout the years of what it means to be on mission, even how to be on mission and how to live mission. But the truth is, it comes down to this last paragraph on the screen that we best understand worship when we see God for who He truly is, which then reveals to us who we truly are. Worship moves and motivates us to mission. Now you may say, well, Jordan, that's great, right? Great, we're motivated towards missions. Like, let me, where do I sign money to a check? Like, what do I go on a mission trip? Like, how do I do that? Like, what does that even look like? Being motivated or pushed or even focused on the mission of God. What does that mean? And I have some words of encouragement for you this morning, because there are words of encouragement for me, in that you don't have to reinvent the Right? We don't have to reinvent the will. All we have to do is go and look back at what has already been done. You see, what happened when Jesus ascended to heaven? There were right, 12 disciples, right? One of them had already said he didn't want to part. So there were 11 guys, basically. And from that 11, something happened to where the gospel spread and the gospel kept spreading. And before you know it, you and I are sitting in this church today because ultimately the start of the spreading of that gospel through those 11 men and through those that were around. So I think it's important for us to go back to that and see that and understand what was it that they knew that we didn't? How did they get this so right and are we getting this wrong? What do we need to understand? For us to be people like the disciples, like the apostles, how can we be people like that? Because let me tell you something. One thing that we realized in this short two-week study is this. All of us, all of us, every single one of us, is called to be on mission. You cannot walk out these doors today and think otherwise. I'll say it again. All of us are called to be on mission. Why? Because worship is the fuel of mission, and we want others to come back to worship. And so, obviously, all of us, every one of us, is called to missions. Alright? So let's look at it. We're going to be in Acts chapter 1. We're going to go through the first 11 verses. But in the first section of verses, we're just going to go through the first 8. Um, in Acts chapter 1, it picks up when we see um, Jesus has been resurrected, right? It's the second book that Luke's written, Luke and Acts. It's basically his second book, recounting the things that he's seen or has heard. And we see in this first chapter, it opens up with this, uh, this scene of Jesus talking to a small group of his apostles and others. And um, he begins basically by by letting them know, like, 
Listen, my time here is it's almost up, and so you need to listen up. Here are your, here are your marching orders. Here's what uh, is, is expected of you. I'm laying the ground rules for what is about to be done and what you need. And so if you'll just follow along with me, we'll read it. Uh, it's on the screen here on your bottom. It says, in the first book of Gospels, I've dealt with all that Jesus began to do and teach until the day when he was taken up. After he had given commands to the Holy Spirit to the apostles from whom he had chosen, he presented himself alive to them after his suffering by many groups, appearing to them during 40 days and speaking about the kingdom of God. We go on to the next song. And while staying with them, he ordered them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father. Which he said, You heard from me. For John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. So when they had come together, they asked him, Lord, will you give this, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? He said to them, It is not for you to know times or seasons that the Father has fixed by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. You see, this first kind of section of verses, it, it gives us an idea of, of, about what Jesus was saying to, to his apostles. They were asking all sorts of questions. They were worried, no doubt. The things in which they had understood one way, like it was going to be a total paradigm shift for them. They had, you know, they had given so many years to, to following after Jesus, and now they're telling me that Jesus is going to ascend into heaven, which they didn't really understand anyway. But you're telling me that that's going to happen and we're going to be, we're going to be on our own during this task that you asked us to do? Like, we don't understand. And so they had all these questions. They had all these um, just wonderings about what in the world is going to happen when he leaves. And the first thing that Jesus says and it's really important, and he talks about the promise of the Holy Spirit. He talks, he goes back to several chapters before, even in Luke and in Mark, where you see John the Baptist, he talks about um, baptizing with water. There is one much greater than him who baptizes with fire and the Holy Spirit. Do you remember hearing that in the times you read through the Gospels? Maybe. You see, all Jesus is doing is he's bringing up the idea that, listen, like, up to this point, like, I've got you to this point, you need to trust in who I am and, and the, the abilities that I've given you so far. He also, we see in the first chapter, um, we see so far that he gave many proofs for why he was truly God, right? Which seems really ridiculous to me, actually, because this guy had just died on a cross and three days later had most alive, right? And yet, sometimes that wasn't enough for a lot of people, right? We see the account of Thomas and it's like, I need to see, I need to touch, and I need to see the star before I believe that's you. And we know that there are others it's like, oh, there's no way that's him, right? And we laugh at these people and we think, they don't trust in God. I mean, he just rose from the dead. How do they not trust in him? But the truth is, the same is true in our lives, right? Look at all the things that God has done in your life. Look at the transformation that's taken place. Look at the way that he had, you were going one way and he had transformed you and now your desires, your actions and passions are going another way. That's not simply something that you say, well, that just happened to happen. 
That's something that God has done in your life, and yet, all the time, what do we do? We say, God, I can just see the other side that you are who you are. Like, God, I believe you, but you just like, make my baby count like two times, three times harder. Like, I believe you then. Like, God, I will stop lying and cheating if you just come through in this moment for me. Like, I will worship you then, because then I'll know you're real. We're exactly like the apostles. We need reminders of who God is because we so often forget. We so often forget what he's done for us and the promises that he has for us. But the greatest promise I think that we can dwell on today is, is that he promises, he promises us the Holy Spirit. That last verse is the first part of chapter 8. It says, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come. I don't know about you, that's a scary verse. It's a scary verse because it's one that I realized that we're talking about the Holy Spirit. We're talking about God Himself in the form of the Spirit. This is the same Holy Spirit that, that hovered above the waters before creation, right? The Spirit of God was hovering above the waters. This is the same Holy Spirit, you see, that was inside, that was Jesus, right? That through the work and the power of what he done and enabled him to do the things he did, the miracles, the resurrection. It's the same Holy Spirit we see in all throughout the New Testament that empowered disciples like John and Peter to heal people, right? It's that same Holy Spirit. We got what God is saying, what Jesus is saying here is you'll receive power from the Holy Spirit that's come upon you. You see, the first core truth that we have to understand, it's really important. It's important to our understanding of missions and our part of you. It's that as a follower of Christ, you are empowered by the Holy Spirit. You are absolutely and completely empowered by the Holy Spirit. If there's one thing that you can look to, if, there's, if you don't walk away with anything else today, here's what you need to know. In the role of anything in your life, as a follower of Christ, going after and focusing on the things that God has for you, you are empowered by the Holy Spirit to do those things. And this has a few um, understandings. So we look and we see that um, one thing is, and I think it's difficult for us to understand, is sometimes we're unaware of this power, especially in, in a culture that tells us we're not not to be powerful religiously, right? We're unaware, or we turn to that fear of this power. For instance, you know, it's really easy in our culture in America to be a person that um, that is allowing all things in your life and in other people's lives. Be a person of allowance, be a person of acceptance. And there's there's a point in which we um, we accept people for who they are, absolutely. But in the same in the same instance, it's like we also have to acknowledge the power of the Holy Spirit in our lives and it's called upon our lives to speak truth into people's lives. Right? That's what we're called to do. Let's we run the train back like we last week. Worship motivates us to mission so that others can worship. If we're if we're on that path and we accept everything and yet speak no truth into people's life. The train is stuck on the tracks. It's not moving anywhere. It's not doing any good. 
And so I think it's really hard for us to see like the power that the, the Holy Spirit plays in our lives because we're afraid if the Holy Spirit truly takes over in our lives, what is that going to mean for my social life? What is that going to mean for my job? What is that going to mean for my education? What's that going to mean for my family? Like, I'm going to have to give up a lot of stuff. Just what we think in our mind. Because of the empowerment of the Holy Spirit. Because we have this idea that, oh, God is going to make some nut that people are going to look at and laugh at. But the truth is, if you look all through Acts, one of my favorite things is the first disciples. They, they were guys who were empowered by the Holy Spirit. They were guys who would get arrested. They would get put before a judge and the defense would look at them, they're like, they did this, 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 and this. And they, those people hate them. But at the end of the day, they would be let go. Why? Because they could find no offense with them. Because the way in which they lived their life was in love and in truth to other people. And that's what we have to do. We have to live in a way that's in love and truth with others. There's a C.S. Lewis book that I had, and I think it's going to be on the screen. It's kind of small, but if you can read it, it'd be great. It says this, he's, he's writing a letter to a friend of his, um, and he was talking about this idea of kind of the Holy Spirit and his involvement in that and speaking truth into people's lives. And here's what he said. He said, my feeling about people in his conversion, I've been allowed to play a part, is always mixed with awe and even fear. Such as a boy might feel on, on first being allowed to fire a light. The disproportion between his beating finger on the trigger and the thunder and lightning which follows its alarming. In the seriousness with which the other party takes my words always raises the doubt whether I have taken them seriously enough myself. He goes on and says this, I have now learned to think of myself instead as a fellow patient in the same hospital who having been admitted a little earlier could give some thoughts. You see what he's saying? He's saying, listen, this empowerment of the Holy Spirit, this idea of being a part of speaking the gospel and the truth in someone else's life, it's a big deal. It's a deal that can be extremely scary. It's like a kid shooting his first life. Listen, I'm from East Tennessee. I shot my very scared of rifles, okay? And there's nothing scarier. Or more exciting as a kid than like touching a, a rifle for the first time. No, you're like shooting a gun. Like, I don't know if that's a redneck inside of me or, or what, but some of you are nodding your head and then some of you are looking at your watch thinking, I'm going to get out of here. This guy's crazy. Right? But the truth feels like if you could just picture a little boy in this huge rifle and the nervousness of that. The, the small finger on the large trigger, the amount of pressure it takes to pull the trigger, and then the explosion, the, the projectile of the, of the bullet that goes. It's a scary thing, but it's a powerful thing. That's what C.S. Lewis is saying here. He's saying it's exciting, but yet it's trembling. It's so trembling that I even wonder if I'm worthy or if I've even taken it seriously enough in my own life. Listen, I've been there. I've shared the gospel with people. And I, at the end of it, I've seen the passion. I've seen the questions. I've seen the thoughts that they had. And I've gone, I've never had those thoughts. Like, I need to take this more seriously than my own. And I think that's what puts us at, at, at a point where we decide, you know what? I don't want to do that. I 
I don't want to be a part of God's mission. Because it's too scary, it's too hard. But what Lewis goes on to say, and I think it's true for us today, is that he learned to consider himself as a patient at a hospital who had been there longer than someone else, and he was just someone that needed to give advice. Right? All of us have a sickness, it's called sin. All of us have a healer, it's called Jesus. And just because you have found out about Jesus before someone else does, doesn't mean that you are a person who needs to be raised high. It just means you're a person who's, who's hurt the good news. And because of that good news, you want to bring other people to the healer. You want to bring other people to the hospital. You want to bring other people to this place where they can find healing for their soul. And ultimately, God. That's the idea of what he was saying here in this. You see, we know what worship, we know that worship is the foundation. You know the Holy Spirit is given to us in large parts that we can lead others to God. But what I think we don't understand is what part does the Holy Spirit play in actually speaking the gospel and truth to other people? And I think there are two things you've got to think of. It's not on the screen, but I'd love for you to write them down because it's it's helped me in my life and in, in knowing and understanding how God works. And you can call them a lot of different things. Two things is general call and specific call. Or you can write inward call and outward call. We go through this in evangelism training here when we send teams uh, on mission. But basically it's my understanding through scripture about the Holy Spirit and the role that it plays in our lives especially when we are moving towards people on the mission. So this general call, this general call is the call that we saw uh, in Isaiah chapter 6, right? It's the call that we see in all of the New Testament. It's the call that you may have even seen, and I have told us this morning that all of us have. It's the call to be on mission, the call to missional living. And that just doesn't mean I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to act right, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to be nice to other people, it, it is that. It's, it's a love and a service towards other people, but it's also an active speaking of the gospel into people's lives. That's your call. You are called to be a person who exemplifies Christ in their actions and their words towards others. So that's the general call, I feel. Your call is to speak the gospel into people's lives. Alright? I think everyone in here knew that, right? The specific call is not your call at all. I feel it's the Holy Spirit's call. And as you speak the gospel into people's lives, what you don't see is the Holy Spirit is calling that person to God. And whether they accept your general call, which you were told, go and speak and tell, right? That general call. The Holy Spirit is then calling that person to repent, to have faith. And whether they accept or reject, guess what? That is not on you or your words. They are accepting or they are rejecting God. And the Holy Spirit is calling them on. Do you understand that? It's hard for us to speak the gospel into people's lives because you know what we do? If they say no, we are we're done, right? That was the worst experience ever. I went out on a limb. I, I told them how much I cared for them, loved them, and wanted them to see who God was. And, 
and I just begged them to come to come to know the Lord, and they just flat out, you know, rejected me. Like it's the worst feeling in the world. But what we have to realize is we have done our job. Your job is to speak and to show the gospel to everyone, to anyone, everyone. The Holy Spirit's job is to call that person to God. And their acceptance or rejection is not based upon you. It's based upon their reaction and their decision for God. Does that make sense? Everyone can breathe a little sigh or breathe. Like the pressure's off of you. You don't have to go be the Mickey Mantle of evangelism. Right? You don't have to get 300 all the time. Okay? All you have to do is be willing to go. That's what Isaiah did in Isaiah 6. That's ultimately what the disciples, we know that they've done. You just have to go. If we go to the next verse, you see this. It's the second part of uh, Acts chapter 1, verse 8. It's the famous part. In the first part, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, all Judea, and Samaria, and to the ends of the world. You will be my witnesses. You know, I think it's interesting that the, in our translations, we translate the best of witnesses. It could have been a lot of different things, like we, we could be his representatives, or we could be, um, you know, his ambassadors. There's other places in the New Testament where we'll call that. But in this particular case, I find it interesting that it's translated most closely to witnesses. And I don't think it's a mistake. Because I think if you, if you run the picture for me, okay, I, I'm going to admit something to you. I, I'm a movie fan, a movie fanatic. And I really love, like, old gangster movies, okay? I don't know, that's, that's probably pretty bad in life. I just, I just love that era, you know, of, of bank robberies and, and Tommy guns. I don't know. I, but what always happens in movies like that, right? You always have someone who saw what had happened, and they're a key witness, and what ends up happening? Like the whole movie, the monsters try to get to this witness because he's the only one who can pin to the, to the murder. They end up paying him off or or put them at the bottom of the river, right? Whichever is easier for you to swallow. Um, and, and it's done. And now there's no case upon which the defense can, can get these guys, right? It was all hinging upon the witness. You see, a witness is very important. They not only account for what they saw and what they heard, but they speak those things to others. I think it's, I, I don't think it's a mistake that this is here. That he calls us to be witnesses. We're people who are supposed to report from what we've heard and what's been done even in our own lives, what we've seen. We're supposed to open our mouths. You know, a dead witness is really worth nothing. A, a silent witness is worth equal as, equally as much nothing. Because it's all about how in which you, you share what you saw or what's been there are so many of us in this room today that have walked this earth, walked this planet, been in this state, in this city, or wherever, and we lived our whole lives as worshipers of God, but we have lived our whole lives as silent witnesses of God. Would it not be the most intimidating thing ever if I asked everyone in this building to raise their hand if they shared the gospel with someone this week? 
Absolutely. Absolutely it would be. It's hard. It's difficult. We've made it so difficult because we un- we've understood it in a way that we've made this the goal over here and not worship. And we decided that it's all it's all about what we do and how we say things. When really we've neglected the work of the Holy Spirit. The work of the Holy Spirit is the most important thing. And what we see here is that the Holy Spirit will come upon us, and when He does, the reason for that, the very essence of the Holy Spirit coming into your life, is so that you can be witnesses in Jerusalem, all Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. We are given the Holy Spirit for the singular reason of testifying to the person work of Jesus. You want to know why God gave you the Holy Spirit? Yes, He gave it to you so that you can resist temptation in your life so that it would be easier to submit to His call, submit to His authority in your life. He gave it to you for guidance and decisions. He gave it to you so that you can fellowship with brothers and sisters, not even just in this place, but around the world. He gave it to you for all these reasons. But the singular most important reason in which you have the Holy Spirit in your life is so that you can be witnesses in Jerusalem, in Judea, and all Samaria. And as we're talking about that, let's just break that down. When, when Jesus said these things, witnesses in Jerusalem, all Judea, and Samaria, and Judea, to the earth, what we do in our Western minds is we build a graph and we say, okay, let's build a circle. That, that's Jerusalem. And we're keeping our we're keeping our tails here until everyone knows the gospel here. And the next part, that's Judea. And then that's Samaria. And that's the end of the earth. And what we do is we convince ourselves here in Memphis, I don't need to go overseas. God's not calling me to that because there are lost people needing to hear the gospel here in Memphis. And you are absolutely true. There are lost people that need to hear the gospel here in Memphis. No doubt about it. But this is not a strategy. Jesus was talking about. And so many times we see it as a strategy. You must start here and finish here. Really what he's saying is, listen, I play no favorites. You are to be witnesses in Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the world. If he decided like one or the other, well, we decided to God's called me to Memphis, not to Tanzania. Like, no, I'm sorry, I'm supposed to be here in Tennessee, not in Jamaica. Man, God, please call me in Jamaica. <laughs> <laughs> that would be awesome. That's what I'll be praying for. Right? But seriously, it's, that's how we've designed it. It's been an idea of we're supposed to stay here. This is our bubble. Other people are supposed to go here. We just totally misunderstood what God was saying. He's, he's talking to people who are traditional Jews, and what he knew is, of course they would want to stay here in Jerusalem. Of course they wouldn't want to go to the ends of the area and the ends of the earth. But he told them about it anyway. Why? Because he wanted to communicate to them his love and his salvation that he desires for all people. All people, everywhere. 
And you may say, well, Jordan, I, I love all people everywhere. I do. I, you know, I support people who are doing places. I, I feel like I love people well. I serve people well. I'm here in Memphis, but I love all people everywhere. Did you know that 90% of the internationals that are in our city right now, 90% have never stepped foot inside of America's home? 90% of them. There's a higher percentage of if, if they never stepped foot inside your home, how many of them do you think have ever had an American cooked meal inside your home? You really love all people everywhere? Great. You know what the truth is? Fine, stay in Memphis. We have tons of internationals here in Memphis. We have Somalis. We have Indians. We have Chinese. We have probably the whole thing, the whole continent of Africa. Represented here in Memphis through refugees and other things. You really love all people? How many Muslims do you know in contact with on a regular basis? How many Hindus do you sit and talk to about God? How many Buddhists do you try to reach out to that you know are in our city? Let's, let's take it a step further. How many people of a, a different social class do you hang out with on a regular basis? Do you spend time? Do you influence? Do you help them make choices? Do you speak the gospel to them? How many people of a different race? Do you understand that? It is so easy for us to stay in our little bodies. And me as a, a 26-year-old white guy, it's so easy for me to have other 20-something white guys in my house. It's so easy. What God's calling us to do and what He's encouraging us to do is to open our homes up to where you come to my house and you're going to see an African from Ghana. You're going to see an Indian from the central part of India. You're going to see someone, a Chinese student, who's working in the same view. You're going to see, hopefully, a Jamaican that way you can help me out with the pack in the next mission. Right? You want to talk about wanting to be missional? Forget about getting on a plane. Do it here. We have close to 15 to 20 internationals that come to this building every year. Lost. To learn ESL. To build friendships and community. Do it here. Learn to be missional here. Because it's not about a strategy. Memphis, then Tennessee, then the United States, then the world. No. It's about Memphis, and Tennessee, and the United States, and the world. And we're going to do it all at once. Because we're intentionally going to seek those people out. Because the people in which we love are everywhere. You want to know how 6,000 plus people groups are on reach? It's because too many people have stood inside this Jerusalem love and said, let me tell you something. Last year you may have been called to be in Memphis, but today where are you called to be? Is that something you're actively looking at? Is that something you're actively asking God, God, where are you going? Is it in Memphis? Or is it, is it in Egypt? Like, where am I supposed to be? I'm, I'm willing. I understand that worship fuels missions, and worship is the ultimate goal of the church, not missions. And I want to bring others to worship, 
Where do you want me? Do you want me in Memphis? And if you want me in Memphis, what do you want me to do? Who do you want me to be interacting with? Who do I share the gospel with? How do I do this? Because ultimately, it's not about me, it's about the work of the Holy Spirit that's inside of me. And it's moving towards motivation in this. You understand that? The Holy Spirit has given you, has given me, the ability to connect with all people. Lastly, we've got to because I'm such a long-winded speaker. All right, so um, in the last couple of verses, we see this. And we had, when he had said these things, as they were looking on, he was lifted up on a cloud and took him out of their sight. And while they were gazing into heaven as he went, behold, two men stood by them in white robes and said, Men of Galilee, why do you stand looking into heaven? This Jesus who was taken up from you into heaven will come again the same way as you saw him go The last four truths is we have been given this task. The time is now for to be acknowledged. We make a lot of people's last words, right? When someone passes away, you know, you always wonder what their last words were. You know, I'm sure my last words are going to be something that we get on the Make sure you get the lasagna out there. Something she'll have to listen to. It'll be so ridiculous. Like, the last words are a big deal. And Jesus could have easily said a lot of different things. And granted, these aren't Jesus' last words forever. But as the disciples knew it, these were the last words from what they understood Jesus was who he was. They knew he was coming back. Had no clue when. Right? They even asked that. They said, Is this the time in which Israel's going to be? And Jesus said, I'm coming back, it's happening. But this, these few words that he said to them at this point were the last things that he spoke before he ascended into heaven. And I don't think it's a mistake. Sometimes last words are so important. They're things that we put so much value on because last words are the things that you would hope that people, above anything else, you want people to remember the most. And how appropriate is it? That Jesus told the disciples, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, and Judea, and all of Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. It's not a mistake. You see those last words that he gave the disciples, those are the last words to this point that he's given us. We see him speak through scripture, absolutely. But Jesus here on earth in flesh, the last words that he said, are applicable to us today. You will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and to begin Samaria and all the earth. It's time we understand that. It's time we cling to that and say, okay, I believe you. Not only do I believe you, but God, I'm giving my heart to that. I'm giving my heart to that. You know, I'm, I'm letting go of these passions and desires in my life, and I'm trusting that those are going to be filled when I'm you see, we don't understand that God really desires for us to live a full life with Him. We think, we think and we believe that to follow God, we have to just get rid of everything great in our life and just live a simple, humble life. The truth is, like, we're getting rid of junk compared to the things that God has bringing us. 
And the things that he's bringing us are going to move us in the direction towards missional living. The angel's message was basically really simple. They said, listen, this Jesus, if he was taken up, he's going to come back the same way you saw him go. But why are you sitting here? Like, why are you sitting here staring? Well, didn't he tell you to go? Like, didn't he say, it's time to go? It's time to work? The mission hasn't been accomplished? He didn't say, oh, I'm waiting for you to see what happens. He said, listen, the time is now. I'm sending you to heaven. Let's go. I've given the gift to you, the Holy Spirit. Let's go. What we don't realize is the importance of the we in this. I think in our American culture, and I think those of too, we have decided that pastors or missionaries or deacons or church planners are the ones to do the right? Or the ones to share the gospel. What we see later in Acts, I think it's in Acts chapter 8, we see a great persecution which is headed by Paul, or Saul, excuse me, at that time in Acts chapter 8. Right? And it begins to like demolish the early church. And what has to happen is everyone leaves except the apostles. The apostles are the only ones that stay in Jerusalem. Everyone else scatters. It's awful circumstances that they scatter. You know what happens from that? In Acts chapter 8, it talks about those people that were scattered again, telling others about the gospel in those areas. You want to guess in those areas that they were Judea, Samaria? Absolutely. You see, the circumstances that you have in your life that you use as an excuse for not being able to go may be the very circumstances that launch you into going. Maybe the very things that God is trying to use to get you to move out the door and say, you know what, move. Go somewhere else. Be missional. Be on mission. Speak the truth into people's life because the Holy Spirit is giving you the power to do so. It's not the apostles' job. They were here in Jerusalem, and they were called to stay there at that point. But it's the people who heard the message of the apostles that went out and were scattered, not because they necessarily wanted to. They had to. They felt like it was necessary. And when they landed where they were supposed to land, guess what happened? They lived in love and service of other people, and they spoke the truth of the gospel to other people. And that's how the message of the gospel has moved from 2,000 years ago to that place this place here today. There was something really interesting that I heard this past week. It was on a, a Bible study that we were doing at the preliminary. David Platt was a new-minded uh, president. He said this in one of his officers, and it really resonated with me. And I think it will resonate with you as the band comes up and uh, we begin to wind down. He said this. Think about how the gospel has spread to this point people. Think in your own life about how you've heard the gospel. Maybe through a Sunday school teacher or a parent or someone else. The true question you have to ask yourself when it boils down to nothing else to learn is this. Will it stop with you or will it spread with you? Will it stop with you when you walk out of these doors today? And you know you're called to live on mission? 
And the excuses that you make are, well, God's not calling me to do missionary overseas. No, God's not calling me to those things. I know. He's giving me these particular set of skills. Maybe so. How can you intersect those particular set of skills with the gospel? You speak truth in people's lives. That's why he's giving those skills. He hasn't given you something to make boots and money. And you get to drive whatever car or whatever house you want. He's giving you the skills that you have so that you can preach and speak truth in other people's lives. And you can do it in a way where you live missionally in that. Whether it's here in Memphis, in Zimbabwe, in the Philippines,
I pray that all our hearts are in that place. God, and I trust that the Holy Spirit will guide us through that. God, you are not bound by geographic location. But you are unbound by the guidance of the Holy Spirit in our lives. God, I pray that we would be people that listen to the Holy Spirit in our lives. That we would be people to understand that you have called us to a great task. And it's out of our understanding of worship that we move into missions. So that others can be worship the true King. I just pray during this time, God, search our hearts, call us to the things that are calling us to do. God, let our eyes be open, let our ears and hearts be open to your God, if you want us to move to a different place, God, if you want us to be involved in the international life in this city, God, just whatever you desire from us, God, speak that to us now. We are here to be surrendered to all In your name, amen. The band is going to play. Feel free to come up. Does anything we talk about for you? Feel free to pray for seats. This is the time for you to make a decision. Are you going to take seriously the call that God has in your life? He has it on all of our lives. It's time to stop fooling ourselves. And it's time to remember that because we worship the King, we're motivated to work and the work we do.